Hello and welcome. I'm delighted you have joined us today. My name is Gronya Smith and today more about building effective all-round communication. Whatever the situation, communication, good or bad, can make or break that situation and change it completely. Therefore, building constructive home team communication is extremely important when every part of your life has been affected by a difficult home caregiving situation. Often within our own families, we assume that the people who share our daily lives, and some of whom we've known since birth, understand us better than others, know our hopes and fears, our joys and sorrows, and know that we love and appreciate them, often without us ever actually saying the words. While most of our days are filled with minor events that cause little or no thought or comment, events that pass without any special attention, sometimes just a few words can bring positive change. For instance, great, thanks for remembering to bring your washing down. And you've brought all the rest down too. That'll save me time and I won't have to climb those stairs again. In many ways, just a few words and a very small action. But making that comment can show that you noticed and really appreciate the thought and the effort. And this could lead to the beginning of lots more helpful actions, each one small on their own, but greatly adding to the running of the house. And the same applies with many other relationships. At work, perhaps, where showing appreciation for effort can lead to better teamwork. Which areas of your home life are affected by long-term caregiving for a vulnerable individual? Your relationships? Social life? Sleep? Work and concentration? Not to mention feelings of frustration, feelings of isolation and worry about what best to do to help. Perhaps some of these affect you in your own situation. What about communication in your own home? Few people live in complete isolation. As well as family or home team members, most people have friends, neighbours, colleagues. And in any day, a small gesture such as a smile or a warm greeting, a hand held out, for instance, to help you to board a bus or a train or up steep steps, that could be a real turning point. And on the same day, so can, for instance, a frown, lack of concentration, someone getting angry over trivia, rudeness or being ignored. Every action can trigger a reaction and affect other people. And when difficult behaviour becomes a regular feature of home life, this will inevitably have a long-term effect on everyday life of everyone who shares that home. Now think of your own home situation. How has your home life been affected by your caring efforts? What about your family and home communication? Is it always or even sometimes constructive and effective? Or perhaps sometimes or even frequently fraught and frazzled with lack of cooperation, angry scenes, fooling around, misunderstandings due to distorted thinking? Every action can trigger a reaction and may affect everyone else in the group, a sort of ripple effect. In our own everyday lives, 
things often seem to drift along, revolving round work times, social and other activities, meal times to fit in with these, and everyone dealing with their own commitments and other activities in their own personal world. With communication connected to these individual everyday activities. Where are my specs? I'll be late. Your mum called. I said you'd ring her back. Is there any more cereal? You forgot to... In our own busy everyday lives it is all too easy to miss the small indications giving us clues about how other people feel. Body language, facial expressions, perhaps a change of pace, increased or perhaps a complete lack of interest. And when behaviour has changed and difficult behaviour becomes a regular feature at home and elsewhere, this will inevitably have an effect on everyday life for other people, as well as consequences for the individual. So how can we build more constructive and effective communication in a changed situation? Whether at home or work, good times are difficult, just a few important qualities which can help. Good listening, awareness of body language and facial expressions, personal patience, not often easy in tough times, relevant information about the individual situation and what could be causing the changed behaviour, generosity of spirit, realising when someone is affected by illness or perhaps difficult life events and has changed due to this may not act or speak as they usually do. No assumptions should be made. They may or may not be based on fact and accurate information or possibly even on someone else's assumptions. Often listening, patience, generosity or spirit, etc. may be affected by personal tiredness or exhaustion which can affect communication or in the best of times may lead to constructive, effective conversations and positive change. Without good listening skills and patience, relevant information, generosity of spirit, the opposite is much more possible, leading to difficult scenes and destructive conversations. A practical activity. Think of any behaviour which has changed in your own house or family group. Make a note of what happens, who the behaviour affects, where it happens, how it affects you and other people. Does the behaviour fit the definition of challenging behaviour as outlined in podcast 4? On a scale of 1 to 10, from relaxed and happy to fraught and frazzled, make a note of the effects of the behaviour on you and on others who share your home. If possible, perhaps talk to other people in the family in a get-together with everybody around the table. Add a note of why you think your family member's behaviour happens. A health condition, perhaps, or individual reaction to feelings of personal pressure or unhappiness. Perhaps alcohol or drug-related. Increased frustration, perhaps, because of something new in their lives. Whatever the situation, a great range of individual factors can play a part in positive change, or no change, in any person's recognition of the problems, what caused them, 
and what could help towards recovery. Without recognition and acknowledgement of those problems, possibly even denial of the effects of their behaviour, any treatment and attempts to help are likely to have limited effect. In each situation, communication will play a very important part in helping to encourage that positive change or not. How often can any professional see an individual? How much time can be given to any one appointment? An hour a day? Once a week? Once a month? Or something different? The rest of the individual's time will be spent at home, hopefully with supportive family and friends and neighbours and possibly, not always, visits from community support workers, mental health nurses, social workers and others. In each situation, home carers or trained and professional team, each person involved needs relevant information about the individual situation so that they can make the most of every opportunity to feed in appropriate support, encouragement, reminders when needed, all those very important words. Well done. Don't forget to, I really appreciate when you. Set up a family forum to discuss specific situations and difficulties. See the podcasts, listen to them on family teamwork. And if and when family communication has broken down, a few starter phrases and questions. Tell me what's happening the way it is for you. What do you think might help you cope better? What support do you have? What do you need? How could we make a plan to help you through and to help each other through. What do we need to help? Anyone got good ideas for finding more information? Maybe the library or a special book or website? Remember, keep it short and simple. In other words, K-I-S-S, KISS. Less is more. Listen sensitively. Empathise. Try to imagine how you would feel in the same situation. Acknowledge feelings and issues, even if you don't feel the same. Share information as much as possible and offer support whenever you can. And remember, what may seem trivial to you may be someone else's big deal, which means they're not coping. Always be honest. If you don't know the answer, say so. Sometimes long-standing family rules have to be spelled out in words of one syllable, just as we had to in our house. We all have our evening meal together, share stories of our day. Whoever does the cooking can choose what we eat. Whoever cooks, someone else does the dishes. And a completely different story, a real life story, from Ruby. I met Ruby several years ago and she was interested in what I was doing and writing. And she said her husband had been very, very ill. And she also said, I'm no angel. And this is Ruby's story. We were in Malta a few years ago when my husband David had cramps in his hands and then difficulty lifting his arm. 
he was diagnosed with motor neuron disease. The specialist told us we'd need all the help we could get. A fortnight later, David couldn't lift his arms to give anyone a hug or to drink from a cup even. He had terrible pain. Life became a real struggle. Together we decided to keep things as ordinary as we could. Do what we'd always enjoyed, travelling, concerts, opera, seeing friends and family. We made a plan for each day. For instance, a video or a TV programme or music we liked, inviting friends round, visiting. We decided never to say, I can't cope, and we supported each other. Otherwise, you'd just give up. Our motto is make every day count. Everyone wanted to do whatever they could to help. Our grandchildren were amazing. David used to ask them to test his memory on all sorts of things, and they thought of ways to cheer him up and make him laugh. For his birthday, they gave him daft socks, really lurid in shocking pink and lime green. Those socks were a great talking point with hospital staff. And when David wore them, instead of staff just seeing him as another person in bed or in a wheelchair, the socks gave him an individuality that's often missing in any institutional care. Thanks to the effect of the jokey humour of the socks, the staff talked to him as a person rather than treating him like a vegetable lying there. It was really hard to see David losing his ability to do things for himself. His mind was clear and he'd always been such an independent man, always strong and always felt he was right about everything. It was really, really difficult for me to lift or move him. He was a big man and by then a dead weight. He got so frustrated sometimes. Four years after diagnosis, not long before the end, he began to not recognise me, started swearing at me, calling me awful names. Cognitive incapacity, they called it, and inappropriate language. He'd never done anything like that before. Sometimes he was just horrible, really nasty to me. He wasn't the real David by then. Dementia took over. But occasionally he would speak in his own voice, tell me he loved me, but the pain was really, really bad. I always loved him, but I didn't always like him. Sometimes I went into the kitchen or out to the shed to cry or express my hurt or frustration or anger or whatever. He often swore at me, either out loud or under his breath, and sometimes when other people were there. From diagnosis to dying, four years. During that time, David took part in classes on diagnosis for med medical students and donated his body for research. He died in his sleep, very peaceful at the end. I knew he was dying because his breathing changed. I lay beside him, held him, told him how much I loved him, wanted him to be happy, peaceful and relaxed, and I forgave him everything. Everyone came to say goodbye. Our grandchildren were wonderful and insisted that David wore his bright socks when he left the house. So they put them on for him. And when they went back to school, they said all their friends asked what had happened. 
When they spoke with their friends about how they had helped David and even said goodbye to him when he died, their friends said that maybe they should go and see their own grandparents more often. The most essential thing? Love and care, all round support from doctors, occupational therapists, nurses, family and friends. Ask for what you need. People will give if and what they can. Attitude is really, really important. Show gratitude for what you are given and most of all, good communication. That was Ruby's story, a true real life story, which I heard from Ruby herself just a few years ago. By finding ways to express how she felt about those very tough times at home, by looking for what she needed, and by helping and encouraging other people to express their own feelings and to offer help when they could, Ruby helped build good constructive communication all round and with the most effective care and possible for David. What might help in your own situation? Just a few suggestions. Taking into consideration age and understanding, clearly restate the house rules which apply to everyone in the household. Discuss why the rules are important to everyone when people share a living space. Even ask your home team to write out those important agreed rules using separate pieces of paper for each one and tack them in, up in the kitchen perhaps. Sharing the task may lead to more discussion as well as the additions to the kitchen serving as daily reminders. Discuss fairness, everyone playing their part. Explore options such as finding a supportive professional perhaps someone with specialist knowledge of language difficulties. Find a support group, if possible, of other carers in similar situations. More later in the next podcasts about carer survival. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.